Independent talk. Proper talk. News talk. Talk radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On talk radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the world headquarters of common sense where we are keeping a very close eye, ladies and gentlemen, on this government uh, and exactly what they are up to. Uh, because believe me, just because you don't think they're up to very much, they are always up to something. Yesterday, Boris Johnson announced that his new policy on COVID and lockdowns was to do uh, absolutely nothing whatsoever, which is certainly an improvement on doing something which is actually wrong. Hospitality businesses, of course, up and down the land will certainly be grateful for the news that nothing is going to change. We hope. But let's not forget, we are still in Plan B restrictions where millions of people are working from home, another million are self-isolating and the NHS is not performing its normal duties due to a mixture of missing workers and booster madness. And when it comes to schools, masks have been brought back into classrooms, requiring our children to wear face coverings for seven to eight hours a day. Just think about that. It's an incredible and unnecessary imposition, in my view, on their health and their freedom. Schools are also insisting on medical evidence for pupils who wish to get an exemption. Can that even be legal. In addition, we're hearing that you will only be considered to be fully vaccinated if you have now had three jabs. Not two, but three. And failure to be vaccinated may even affect your chances of getting a job. It's an incredible situation. And while everybody's saying, well, thank goodness it could be worse, Boris could have imposed more restrictions, we haven't got a lockdown, all of that may well be the case. However, let us not forget, and Peter Hitchens and I have talked about this many times, that the imposition of different rules and regulations, different laws, different conditions of employment, different conditions for travel, different conditions for all sorts of things, different positions in schools than there are outside of schools. I think there is a problem here that needs to be addressed. Right. So what we're going to do uh, is we're going to try and make sense of it all uh, because we've got Barrister Francis Horon, who knows a thing or two about the law, uh, on the legality of all of these situations that we are currently facing. And as ever, we want to hear your stories. What are you hearing from your employers, from your kids' schools, from the care homes, where many visits have been stopped altogether because they haven't got enough staff? Well, that's because Sajid Javid fired half of them for not getting the jab. 0344-499-1000. Tonya Buxton's here as well. She'll have plenty to say about the state of things and the Cabinet meeting being held this afternoon, uh, which the Prime Minister will be attempting to hold the line on any suggestions of lockdown. Plus, of course, the schools problem is bound to come up. We're also looking at the Royal Mail this morning after an extraordinary picture in the sun uh, of a post-it urinating in someone's hedge after delivering the letters. Just how bad is the postal service these days? And if you are a postie, just where are you supposed to spend a penny anyway? You shouldn't really be going in people's hedges, though. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, Mike Yardley joins us with his take on the latest Tony Blair revelations. Former Defence Secretary Jeff Hoon says he was ordered to burn a secret memo that said the 2003 invasion of Iraq might be illegal. Might be, eh? That's interesting. Surely this cover-up alone should be enough to block any knighthood for the former Prime Minister. Uh, we've got loads more, of course, including PR guru Mike Bukowski on Prince Andrew's problems, Jasmine Bertels on schools for scammers, and political editor Peter Cardwell on this afternoon's PMQs, uh, which will have one rather important part of it missing. That would be Sir Keir Starmer, uh, who unfortunately has, in, has managed to get COVID again uh, and is having to self-isolate. I think that's number six, isn't it, for him? Self-isolating six times? Absolutely remarkable. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Some fascinating headlines on the front page this morning. Ex-Minister Blair's aide told me to burn Iraq war advice. Prince Andrew uh, still in trouble with his case over in the United States of America. But let's kick things off, I'm delighted to say, with Francis Hall, public law barrister. Francis, very good morning to you and a happy new year. Happy New Year to you. Now, I'm delighted you could join us because you're just the man that can help us out because whenever I've heard you speak before, um, and we haven't had you on our show often enough, in my view, so we're going to try and improve on that in the uh, in the coming year. Um, but there's an awful lot going on, sort of what I would call beneath the surface of the ice, if you like. You know, I've seen emails from schools which have said, if you wish to have an exemption to wearing a mask in this year, you will now have to prove that you have a medical exemption. And if you can't prove that, then you may be excluded from school. I mean, that, first of all, appears to me uh, to be an outstretch of, of the law because you can't do that. You can't ask anybody else for an exemption in a shop uh, or on public transport. But so how can schools do it? And secondly, this business of saying if you will only now be fully vaccinated, in their words, if you have had three jabs rather than two. You know, what's the legal position on all of this stuff? In relation to schools, uh, the guidance 
about mask wearing for children is only guidance. That's the first point. Mm. So there's no legal requirement. Uh, any school teach head teacher could say, no, I'm not going to follow this guidance because it's wrong. Indeed, from a legal perspective, every school has an obligation as both an employer and uh, an employer who has other persons on the premises, which includes children, that's the legal definition, yeah. an obligation to undertake risk assessments. I've seen some risk assessments by schools. They do not consider the risk to children from this disease and this infection, and they do not consider the harms that might be caused to those children by masks. Mm. Now, it may or may not be that those balance each other out, although I doubt it, because the risk to children from this infection is minimal. It's lower, probably, than the common cold, certainly much lower than flu, mm. especially now with this very low impact but high transmissible um, Omicron variant. And, and the only risk that should be considered when it comes to children, particularly when it comes to children, is them. This is not acceptable from a legal perspective to protect teachers. It's certainly not acceptable to protect other members of the public. So from a legal perspective, most schools appear not to be following the law by not doing adequate risk assessments that consider the harm, both psychological and physical, to children from masks. And they haven't done the studies. The government hasn't done the studies in that. So the government's advice doesn't do the trick for those schools. Mm. From, a, from a, the second legal point of view, uh, the second legal point, is that these are a, 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 an intervention for children that require parental consent. So parents, not only if a child has an exemption, is a parent entitled to refuse, but in any circumstance. So a parent can and should say to the school, if they don't wish their child to wear a mask, that they are not going to permit them to do that, and the school has an obligation to follow it. Right. So the school can't... Um, exclude a child on the basis that they haven't provided medical evidence of an exemption? No, they can't. And so if you're a parent and they try to do that nonetheless, what's your next option? Well, I, I, I mean, then the next option is to is to challenge the school in, in, in the way that parents can challenge with, with boards. But it, it, it's, it's obviously there, there are difficulties in practical difficulties for a parent mm. if that happens uh, but but the, the the important point is that schools should be following the law which is to do the risk assessments to respect parental choice and to not require parents to re to to inform the school of private medical information about their child that is not required by them. As you say, it wouldn't be required, it wouldn't be permissible for an employer to do this to a shop worker. No. It wouldn't be permissible for a shop to require this of a, a customer coming into their shops because they have to accept if a person says they're exempt, that they are exempt. Mm. I mean, I've always wondered about that because I thought, you know, if you are, say, for example, a shop owner, I presume you have the right, if you wish, to to stop someone from entering your premises on the grounds that you don't like to look at them. <clears throat> I mean, I know there's various discriminatory sort of rules yeah, there that, are. that will bring it, that will come into effect there. But are you, as a shop owner, able to actually say, I don't want you in my shop? Well, the reason for an exemption it is likely to be that a person has a disability. So if you are a shop, a keeper, and you say to a customer, <clears throat> I, I don't believe you, what's your exemption? You're requiring that person to give information about their private medical details, which would obviously be a breach of their privacy mm. and would also be indirectly discriminatory mm. if they were disabled. That's right. and, and, you, and that shop owner cannot know by looking at somebody whether or not they're disabled. Right. Uh, and, and that might include, for example, PTSD. Right. Uh, any number of different conditions that that might include. So that's mm. why that would be an, at least an indirect right. discriminatory act. Right. And so while you could, exact, for example, exclude someone who had previously shoplifted from your store, because yeah. that's presumably a reasonable uh, reason to keep somebody out, you couldn't do it on the basis that somebody's not wearing a mask? No. Okay. Let's look at the next part uh, of what's happening in our schools. Segregation, apparently, is going on. Walton High, an academy in Buckinghamshire, uh, has said that any pupils who are exempt from wearing face masks will be seated at the back of classrooms at the furthest point from the teachers, and also people who refuse to take tests will similarly be sat as far away as possible. So they're effectively creating two sets of school children. Uh, and given that the school accepts, at least impliedly, that those children are exempt, they're likely to have some form 
of disability for being exempt, yes. it is therefore directly, not indirectly, discriminating against them. Right. So also creating, well, it's also breaching their fundamental right to be educated as children within within the confines of the school. And it's almost certainly doing so, or certainly if, if, it is, if it is like any of the other schools that I've seen in this case, doing so without having adequately or at all risk assessed mm. masks. And risk assessment that says, there is a terrible spread of COVID and we must do something and the government says we must do masks is not in any way a sufficient risk assessment because it doesn't consider the risk to right. the child from the infection or the, the ability of the mask to mitigate that risk or the, um, the, 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 the harm that might cause that child psychologically and physically of a mask. Okay. Being, being restricted in breathing for six to 10 hours a day to say that that has no effect without any medical evidence, which many people do, is risable, frankly. Right. And to say it has no psychological and sociological um, effect is also risable. Uh, we, we, in fact, I acted in a, in, in a case in which we had two experts, one dealing with the potential physical effects of masks, considering the evidence, um, and the other considering the potential psychiatrist specialist in children mental children's mental health considering the potential sociological mm. and psychological effects on children because masks are a barrier to communication they're a barrier to all mm. ordinary interaction in in ordinary life absolutely right and how about this right this is a quite a direct quote from an email sent from a school uh, in bedfordshire uh, if they have a reason to be exempt from wearing a face covering exemption lanyards can be obtained from student services following the provision of evidence Exemption lanyards must be worn at all times. Students who refuse to wear a face covering uh, or a, a lanyard will, in fact, be will be prevented from attending school. That's a quote. Well, why? The first point to make is why do they need to wear a lanyard if if they're wearing if they're not wearing a mask mm. and, and it can be assumed that they are therefore exempt or their parent doesn't give permission for them to wear a mask. There's no need to mark them out. But the second point is that is a deliberate provocation of other pupils to bully children. Yeah. Um, and that's what many schools are doing. And I've also seen many reports of teachers who are bullying children and teachers who are um, providing propaganda, essentially, by the government, ill-informed, deeply ill-informed, as many teachers, unfortunately, are about that subject, yeah. without any sort of context. And in, in such a way as is done deliberately to encourage other children to bully children who do not comply with that propaganda. And that's being done constantly around the country by teachers. And I've seen many, many yeah. examples of that. We can only need to look at the unions and their extraordinary influence over government policy yeah. and the extraordinarily fanatical um, belief that they have totally unevidenced in the ability of masks to prevent transmission of an aerosol transmitted infection, totally unevidenced and stupidly, frankly. Um, and we only need to see their influence to see how pernicious it is. Absolutely, because if you look into the private sector, a lot of private schools are not operating in any way uh, in the same manner and with the same kinds of regulations. I've got a question here from Paul um, uh, Francis, if you don't mind addressing it. He says, I work for a supermarket chain and we've been told to wear a mask and they class them as part of the uniform. Where do we stand with that? It can't be classed as part of the uniform. As I, as, as I said, the employer has an obligation to its employers, employees, to respect both their privacy and their potential disability. And if, if an employee says to their employer that they are not required to wear a mask under the regulations, then they are not required to wear a mask under the regulations. Mm. Um, and, and it isn't for the employer to investigate whether, whether or not they are. Now, I, I appreciate that the legal framework is that the exemptions are limited and, and they are set out, but they are also why. Mm. And they don't require, for example, an illness. Um, that they, they require that a person may suffer distress um, and they may suffer distress from wearing a mask for any number of reasons. Mm. 
It's not for the employer to pry into those. And it's not for the employer to be able to investigate whether or not that person is is telling the truth. Right. Uh, the employer shouldn't do that. Well, we'll come back to more of that. Stay with us, Francis, if you would. Very helpful information. Thank you so much for it. Stay with us. We're talking to Francis Hall, public law barrister. If you've got questions uh, that you need uh, some legal advice on, I'm sure Francis would be very happy to answer them uh, within the concept and within the kind of um, the, the, the square, if you like, of these COVID rules and what some schools are trying to do, what some employers are trying to do. If your employers are trying to force you into some situation, you're not comfortable with talk radio except no substitutes access all arguments the uk's official opinion exchange free speech radio shut up and listen we're on your side the home of common sense talk radio Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on, <coughs> excuse me, on Talk a Radio. Cabinet meeting this afternoon, PMQs at three o'clock, uh, without Sir Keir Starmer, who's got COVID again uh, and is self-isolating for the fifth or sixth time. Can't remember, can't really keep track. Uh, but we're talking right now to Francis Hall, trying to make some sense of what is actually going on. Yes, we still have Plan B restrictions. Yes, some people are saying, well, great, isn't it great that Boris hasn't imposed any more restrictions? Well, it's great in one sense, but there's still problems. And Francis is helping us out here with some of the things that people are facing with schools, uh, with some of the orders that have been given out by certain schools, by the strength of the unions who are asking for mask wearing to be made compulsory in classrooms so that kids are wearing masks for seven or eight hours a day. Francis, let me ask you about the employment situation, uh, first of all, because a lot of people now, I mean, I don't know if you've been watching what's been going on in New York, but in New York City, uh, Mayor de Blasio has kind of um, instructed all private companies to insist that people going into their office buildings must be vaccinated. What's the legality of something like that? I mean, it's not really happening here, but I mean, it doesn't mean it won't. The, the, the legality from an individual employer point of view, so I should say that I acted last year in um, a challenge to the lawfulness of the regulations requiring care home workers to mm. be vaccinated. Right. That was unsuccessful, um, although there's been subsequently regulations which are much wider. And that obviously was in the context of the, the residents of care homes being by far and away the most vulnerable mm. persons to this disease, which is not the case in probably any other, frankly, any other employment situation, including the NHS more generally. Um, So there may well be a challenge to to that, not currently instructed, but that's that's a possibility. But with with that, that's on one's that that's on one section. That's that's in relation to the lawfulness of legislation. But when it comes to employers, they have contractual duties to their employees. Um, but they also um, that th- those contractual duties have to be seen in the in, within the framework of their health and safety duties and and their equality duties as well. Um, and so there there is certainly a strong case to to be said that discrimination against persons by virtue of decisions they have made about their um, decision to make to have medical treatment mm. uh, would be a, a breach of their employment rights uh, and that's because there is a very lengthy um a, a le- lengthy case law about the right of an individual to decide their medical treatment and mm. it's recognized in international um international agreements uh, not treaties but international agreements which include the unesco um agreements on bio bioethical uh, rights for 2005 um, it, it, and, and many others, which which uh, it set out the, the requirement that the state must not discriminate and must not coerce persons to have medical treatments. And remember, this medical treatment, it, 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 it's um, on any view, it's a new form of medical treatment. Mm. Um, and so whatever view you take about the evidence, about side effects and so on in the last year, it is only one year or thereabouts old. Yeah. And so one cannot know the long-term consequences. Sure. And, sure. and also, e- even if that isn't the case, for any medical treatment, there is a very important principle, which was recognised by the Supreme Court in 2015, as recently as that, that, take, that, that requires a medical practitioner, before informed consent to be given, to, be, get, to give the widest form of information to a capacitous person. So that person must be given proper and full information about not only side effects, um, uh, but but the the the, the, the um, uh, w- what is known about the efficacy mm. of, the, of that treatment, and also 
um, the risk to them if they don't ha have vaccines. Because remember, of course, we know that in the first year of this um, infection, only about 450 or so in the first year of the persons who died from um, COVID-19, or at least died within 28 days of a, of a SARS-CoV-2 test, and they didn't necessarily even try and have the disease, were um, uh, under 60 right. and with no previous conditions. Mm. So if you are um, a young person, and especially if you've had COVID, there's very substantial evidence to say that if you have had the infection before, um, you are at least as well protected as somebody who's been vaccinated. There's a very substantial amount of mm. evidence to support that, including recognised by the government in its vaccine surveillance reports, Oxford University studies, which have been give, given the recognition by the government that it, you are at least as protected. In fact, Israeli evidence suggests you might be up to 27 mm. times more protected. Yeah. So to require somebody in that situation to have a vaccination is extraordinary. I mean, you, you and I might remember, I had my BCG um, quite some time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But before that, I had a daisy prick the week before to mm. decide whether to, to, to determine whether or not I had natural immunity. I didn't, and I had the BCG as it happened. Mm. But that was that's absolutely standard and perfectly rational. Mm. So to, to exclude, to require persons um, to have vaccination, even when they already knowingly have natural immunity is extraordinary. Yes. And it's just another point on that, which is that, yes, of course, people might get reinfected. And Keir Starmer, you, you said it's a good example, might have been reinfected. But that's the same as with a common yeah. cold. The point about immunity is not a binary. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not, this isn't a medical, I'm obviously not qualified to give medical advice, but it's an obvious point, which is that once you have had an infection, your risk goes down of having serious mm. sequelae. And that's the same as vaccination. Right. That's but this is what obvious. I was saying to Julie Hartley Brewer. I mean, you know, Boris Johnson yesterday said, all oh, the booster programme is going really well. We're getting loads of people boosted, uh, but we've just had 200,000 uh, cases of infection uh, in 24 hours. And you go, well, but two things can't be true, but they can be because actually the infection rate is not really tied to injury. It's not tied to illness. It's not tied to death. It's not tied to hospitalisation. It's simply a positive test. And, it, and that's all it is. So, I mean, do you think that a court of law, for example, in a, in a case where somebody was being asked to be vaccinated in order to attend their place of work, um, would the court of law look upon the vaccination then uh, as something which there's not enough known about? Well, I, th I think the, the fact that the vaccination is a relatively new form of treatment and were a person to have natural immunity, that would obviously increase the case that person said ha had that employer had for resisting uh, a requirement to be vaccinated are all are relevant considerations in whether it's proportionate for an employer to require it as is the kind of people who work with him so as i say that the law that the government passed was permitted in the high court but but given the very very high risk of those individuals in care homes, which isn't going to be the case in probably almost almost any other, maybe maybe a bingo hall operator, but I, I can't think of many other places where you have so many um, patients who are so vulnerable. Um, so yes, absolutely, those are relevant considerations, but so too are, are, are discriminatory considerations. So people have religious reasons, philosophical reasons, mm. not taking the, the vaccine as well as disability, um, and indirectly sex and race, um, sex, sex potentially because of w women's fertility. It's difficult to know. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that there's evidence one way or another. There may be, but the, the simple fact of, of the unknown quantity... But you might have a doubt about it, right. You might have a doubt and you might want to say, well, my risk of COVID is extremely low. I don't know the consequences of this vaccine. And that's a perfectly reasonable mm. basis for saying, I don't want to have this medical treatment. Yeah. Uh, and that's the decision that you have should be able to make in your interests. And again, it's totally pernicious um, and lawfully wrong to say that you must decide on the basis of others, even if this was a vaccine that did protect and did substantially reduce the risk of infection. Mm. And there's strong evidence to say it isn't such a vaccine anyway. It protects you, but it may it doesn't necessarily protect others from infection, or at least it, it might reduce that, but not by not by mm. that much. And that will wane over time, as, mm. we, as we know, and as the government admits, otherwise it wouldn't be doing the booster program. Right. But even if that wasn't the case, 
fundamentally to say that you should take medical treatment for the sake of others is a massive intrusion by the state and is fundamentally objectionable and is contrary to all of those international treaties that I mentioned. And they're there for a very good reason. Because mm. once you have the state saying you must do something for the greater good, particularly to your own body, you have a fundamentally different relationship between state and citizen than we have been used to in free, liberal and later democratic societies mm. in the Western world. Quite right. A fascinating conversation. Francis, very, very good to talk to you. Thank you so much for all of that information. Very useful, I'm sure, to a lot of people listening. We'll get Francis Hall back on uh, much more regularly over the course of the next few weeks, I think, because as we move away uh, from what I would regard as the dangerous part uh, of the COVID pandemic, um, we're, we're going to be asking more legal questions about what our rights are. We're going to be asking more legal questions about what uh, happens if, if somebody asks you to do this or to do that. If somebody tells you you have to have your children wearing face masks for the entirety of their time in school and you want to challenge that well you can and now you know exactly what to say talk radio investigate what's under the think bonnet talk loud talk proud highly toxic debate battery acid opinions a voice above the crowd talk radio the i'm a common sense Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Lots more to do. Tonya Buxton will be here after 11 o'clock. She'll have plenty to say, I'm sure, about the mask wearing in schools and to also have a bit to say about Tony Blair as well. I wouldn't be at all surprised. And let me ask you a question. When was the last time you saw your postman or postwoman? Is it a postwoman? Or how about just posty? And then that covers it, right? Because uh, there might be some non-binary posties. You never know. Uh, who don't perceive themselves to have any particular gender. Well, apparently, um, the Royal Mail has now been accused of something so heinous. I mean, never mind losing your letters, never mind not being able to redirect your post, never mind uh, dropping your package next door and then telling you uh, that they've lost it, never mind all of the things that they've done wrong. And I apologise to any postie listening to this who's working hard and trying to do their level best uh, to get the mail out uh, to people who need it, right? Uh, Because I'm a great fan, generally speaking, of posties. But what I am not a fan of is this bloke. He is a postie uh, somewhere up in Northampton, I believe it is, yeah, uh, Wellingborough. Um, And here's a picture of him peeing, urinating into the hedge of a man's house. Right. He's only just delivered the um, uh, the mail. And after he delivered the mail, unfortunately for him, there was a doorbell cam uh, on the door, on the front door. Right. And he takes a couple of steps back and then decides it's a good idea to pee into the hedge. Now, the man who owns the house, Christopher Mears, who's got two young children, he says they play outside in the front garden. Wetter box is the headline in the sun. I mean, what does this guy think he's doing? And then he's looking into the, the camera as if he knows there's a camera and he doesn't care. Weeing into the hedge. I mean, I've heard of a, a special delivery, but I'm afraid that's not exactly the kind of thing we're looking for from the Royal Mail. Obviously, there is a massive um, investigation going on up in the Wellenborough postal rooms uh, and in the sorting office, no doubt. This bloke will probably be in a lot of trouble. But come on, guys. I mean, really? We're talking about Her Majesty's Postal Service here. You should not be urinating in people's private gardens. On the other hand, of course, if you are a postie, I don't know where you're supposed to go. Surely there must be places on the route that you can work out, shouldn't they? It's pretty disgraceful, though. Pull your socks up, guys, and uh, indeed do the other thing that I can't say. Right? Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Tonya. Good morning. Very happy new year. Happy new year. You're looking radiant as ever. (laughs) Thank you. It's the makeup girls here. Well, listen, me too. (laughs) I woke up every morning when I was off going, I don't look anything like as good as I do normally during the week. Um, I was almost on the point of calling them. So can you come and give me a bit of a spritz? A little zhuzh. A little zhuzh. Anyway, um, welcome back. Thank Um, you. It's a brand new year, 2022. So far, I would say so good, but still some things to be watchful of, I would say. No, the thing is, is we all, 
I mean, I, I spent my New Year's Eve, uh, I ended up staying home because right. the place I was going to go to called us and said that they weren't going to do dancing. And, and the only reason I wanted to go out was to, for dancing, some dancing. Yeah. I'm, I'm desperate to go dancing. Yes. Um, and so I ended up getting in such a fudge, I stayed home. Mm. Did you and not then, do any dancing at home? No, I was because then, then the news about Blair's knighthood came oh, out. Yeah. And, and it just put me into such a bad mood mm. that I just kind of, I did go to bed in a fudge. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow mm. and I am going to turn a new leaf and it's all going to be great and I think the whole of the nation felt the same Mm. 2022 we're going to wake up and we're going to go back to what things were and then they implemented this masking Mm. children and I think it's deeper than just the masking Mm. of children it's the it's the psychological keeping down of the people Mm. it's to not let you have any hope there is no good reason for what they're doing none at all it's not seated in any form of sanity it's all about control and it's controlling us through our children which is unreal but it was what it did to our psyche where we're all trying to be upbeat Mm. starting a new year happily it brought everyone back down again and i think you're more controllable when you're depressed and when you're in fear and i believe that's why they did it and you feel more grateful for when something doesn't happen like for example so boris comes out yesterday with a press conference at which he basically announces i've got a new policy i'm not going to do anything let's just leave everything as it is because he's worked out that by doing nothing he becomes more popular and everybody goes oh it's great isn't he didn't make us make us do a lockdown well, I'm not grateful no, because I, there was no grounds for it anyway. There was absolutely no grounds. There's no grounds for Plan B at all. Mm. Plan B at all. There is no grounds for it. Right. And as In fact, they should be lifting it, shouldn't they? They absolutely should be lifting it. And we should be going back to normal. In mm. Denmark, haven't they now said that, you know, COVID's over, we're moving forward, yeah. and everything is normal. Yeah. So why can't we do the same well, thing? Well, SAS, the airline, uh, doesn't even ask for you to wear a mask anymore. So you can fly on well, one of their planes and you're <laughs> no, not wearing a mask. That whole mask wearing thing on aeroplanes. I mean, it's just, it's mind-bogglingly stupid. You know, it, it, future generations mm. are going to look back at us and think, what the hell right. were you thinking? Well, are you all so very, very stupid? Mm. You know, but though I was on the train yesterday and today and I am the only person not wearing a mask really? on the train. And it just surprises me so much because I just think that what's happening now is people are being beaten down. Mm. They're worn down. They don't want confrontation. But I'm not even sure it's that. I think there are an awful lot of people, particularly I think London is a bit of a special case as well. London, there's a lot of people who kind of enjoy the look of wearing a mask in the sense that they want to be seen to be wearing one because yes, it singles them out. That, yeah. You know, like those people who wanted to say that, well, I'm not an idiot, I'm not stupid, I voted to remain in the European Union because I'm a clever person. I'm all very well-rounded, I'm intellectual, I'm well-educated, you know, I'm not like those horrible racist bigots over there who work for Talk Radio. You know, there's a bit of that going they, on. Well, they love the name-calling. Yeah. I, I mean, like, that's what I find really astounding, that it just, the people that hashtag love, hashtag be kind, yeah. hashtag virtuous, yes. are the ones that are the meanest. Right the meanest i know on twitter um, they're the ones that are so rude to me and so mean to me and i think i am sitting here i am a working mother Mm. i have nothing to gain i have no shares in big pharma no shares in masks or tests or Mm. any of these things i'm not interested in controlling the people i don't want everybody to have id passes or any of that i'm just talking from a one human with humanity to another so why are you so horrible i know i've got some shares Uh, i got some shares at christmas my sister and my daughter got together and bought me some shares in a concrete company. <laughs> I heard about and, this. And the price is going up. There Let me tell you, it's growing. Good for you. So, yeah. Have you seen Trudeau as well? We did a plank of the week yesterday, first one of the year. Justin Trudeau came out and said that he has found that unvaccinated people are oh. often misogynists. And racist. And racist. Yes. I mean, really? That is the, that's the leader of Canada yeah. coming out with such polarising things causing others yes i mean and you you wonder how you know we we're not allowed to say this on air i know but you you know certain things happened during the second world war and you, you yeah. think, how did they happen yes. and it's like this well macron has come out and said i think this morning or overnight He's that hassle. he wants to hassle, hassle the unvaccinated annoy them so Why? you're going to take a group of people who you know nothing about who are not actually a group of people because they've got all sorts of reasons for not being vaccinated and so you're going to actually target them as the leader of the country? Seriously? But, Mike, you've been vaccinated. Mm. And I I get it. But the, the one of the things that gets to me is that vaccinations are now proving to 
kind of not do anything. Mm. They they may stop you from getting seriously ill, but they're not stopping yeah. anyone from getting Omicron or no. COVID at all. I mean, well, look at look at Keir Starmer, <laughs> you know, the world's most infected man. Unbelievable. I mean, he I, hasn't, mean I don't think he's had COVID five times, but he certainly had to self-isolate five or six times yeah. because he keeps coming into contact. And all of the people in Westminster seem to be the ones that get it the most. Yeah. And he's so, always wearing a mask. He never takes his mask off. So, but, but it's been proved now that, you know, if you take a vaccine, you take it to protect yourself. Yeah. You know, and especially if you've got comorbidities, if you're old, if you're very overweight, you know, if you have these issues, then you're taking it to protect yourself. Yeah. So I just don't understand why these leaders of the free world are forcing mm. people to do something that actually doesn't really make no. sense. It doesn't stop you from catching it. It doesn't stop you no. from giving it to people. It doesn't, I mean, it, the statistics now that are coming through, Jamie Statsky, who's amazing, great, comes yeah. through with all these statistics. It's not, it's not negating anything. No. So why are they pushing something well, that's not doing anything? Let's look at anything? some of the facts. I mean, Francis Hall gave that great statistic, which is that under the age of 60, 460 people have died, right? Unbelievable. Right, and that is an incredibly low number, considering that we're now talking about two years on practically, right? So 200 people, 230 people a year, okay? I mean, that is nothing. And I know that every death is important and we shouldn't make uh, light but, of any of it. But that is the reality. It's not 150,000. It's under... 230 a year of people who were not over the age of 60 without any kind of comorbidities of any kind. And and then when you put that with the number of people that have died because of lockdown, yeah. it, the, the number is shocking. And we will never really know that number because no. they'll never really tell us the truth no. of that number. But all I know is I know three people that have died mm. during this period and yeah. all three of them have died. Because, because of, of lockdown, lockdown. and, we've and had not calls of COVID. Every single week from people who have suffered in that way, who have had relatives dying of cancer. I've had people themselves saying that I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. The doctor said if I'd seen you last year, we could have stopped it. But, but now, now it's can't. too far. Yeah. So and now when, we can't. when will they be held to account for this? I mean, these forecasts, these government forecasts. So how many people died yesterday with COVID? It's something like 80. Yeah, something like it's that. It's less than 80, wasn't it? Yeah, it was I think less so. Than 80. Yeah, certainly under and, 100. And the forecast was that it would be... 5,000. Mm. So, you know, they are so wrong and yeah. they're so out and the government are reacting and acting on policies from these. Not a single policy, not a single forecast has been right. No. Well, and they're they've saying said, forecasts. And I said this at the start of the, the, the week. Everything that they've said about this virus, and I appreciate they didn't know much at the beginning, but everything they've said has been contradicted by them. You know, absolutely. don't wear a mask, now wear a mask. You know, uh, everybody's going to get it. Uh, and it won't really hurt most of them. Uh, now we apparently have to have three vaccines to be fully vaccinated. But I think so having every, only I two think isn't enough. The truth was at the beginning. Mm. If you listened, but before it got politicised, yeah. what they were saying at the beginning was the truth because it was reacting, acting like a virus acts. Right. So masks aren't going to do anything right. towards it. Everyone's going to get it. Right. And the majority and of the people, people aren't going to be harmed. So if you took what they took at the beginning, before they got, I don't know, I don't know, were they got at? Mm. Are they paid off? Is there an agenda? Because they said the truth at the beginning mm. and then they changed. Yeah. And then suddenly viruses... And then they kept changing. And they kept changing. Yeah. And they kept... Oh, I think a lot of them kind of got starry-eyed. They liked being on the telly yeah. and coming well, out look, and having happened? such they've power. All, now they've all got knighthoods. Marvellous. That's always good for the directorships. <laughs> you get I, more money if you're a knight. I'm sorry. I, I do think, though, that if, you know... The job that you and I have done, you in particular, mm. that you should be Sir Mike Graham. Yes. I quite fancy a damehood. Do you? And I think that you and I are more worthy than they are. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I wouldn't want one from them, frankly. Oh. I just oh. wouldn't. I wouldn't want one. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with, with, with no title whatsoever. But I think that you've done the but greatest job of telling the truth. And mm. that's the whole thing. That's that's the other thing that's happened during this time. Actually, before I go on to that. But I've just asked just, a lot of questions. That's all I've done, really. I've just gone, hang on a minute. I don't actually believe you, so why can't you prove that to me? Yes, but Mike, you're not allowed to ask mm. questions anywhere else mm. because everything is being censored. We've seen what's happened with Joe Rogan and Dr Malone. Yeah. I mean, Dr Malone was, was the inventor of one of the inventors of the RMNA yes. vaccine and he has been banned from Twitter. Right. And then, you know, thank goodness for people like you, yeah. like Joe Rogan, yeah. that, that ask questions because he's not saying anything. He's just asking questions. Right. But there's but, no I mean, other Social platform. media in particular, Facebook and Twitter, have been horrendous, which is why... Interestingly enough, in, in our business, you know, we are regulated by Ofcom. We can say things here which Ofcom are quite happy with, but which don't get allowed on YouTube or which don't get allowed on Facebook because they think it's in some way diminishing from the, uh, the, from the narrative. And you go, well, hang on a minute. 
Who told you that you were in charge? Well, all I know is that, you know, the BBC are constantly and unrelentingly fear-mongering. Oh, yeah. And I don't see Ofcom jumping on their no. back and telling them off. I mean, even this morning, you know, the things that they say, you know, you just think, what planet are you on? Right. Why don't you just stop this? They're going banging on about testing and we're running out of testing. Hundreds of thousands of stop people. Stop testing. Mm. I mean, please, if you do nothing else in 2022, mm. stop testing. Stop it for two reasons, because it's continuing the fear. Yeah. The fear has to stop. And it's polluting our planet. But also, as These we know... These plastics are horrific. But we also now know, and Francis Hall said this too, that the testing regime uh, is such that basically you can't necessarily rely on it. Um, the new Omicron variant is clearly very transmissible, yeah. but not particularly harmful. Lots of people are getting it, right? So we're now paralysing, you know, the NHS. We're paralysing the transportation in this country. You can't get a train because people are self-isolating at home. They've now said that they're going to introduce probably um, the end of the PCR. So if you have a lateral flow test that's negative, that's positive, you can just start self-isolating straight away. Yes. You imagine... That's like a charter, as Kevin O'Sullivan said to me yesterday, for skiving. Yeah, well, it is. I know, listen, a friend of mine owns a restaurant around the corner from me. And he said that, um, and he decided that he was going to stay open. He makes the, the best of laggy. I'm going to call him out. It's Uncle Tony's. He's fantastic. Cypriots of laggy delicious. And he said to me that I over, over, over um, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, um, one third of his staff didn't turn up. Mm. One third of them just didn't turn up. And they just said, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, we've uh, we've been... T- and does he have to pay them sick pay? Yeah. yeah, he has to pay them. And so people who don't get paid sick pay, funnily enough, are the ones that don't do that. Well, exactly. Right? Exactly. The ones who do get paid sick pay, the civil service, I said this yesterday, oh, have been given the right to sign themselves off until January 25th. Unbelievable. Right? So, you know, it... it <laughs> It makes me kind of, you know, when there's cartoons when when there's smoke coming out of people's ears. That's what I feel like doing. I know. Because it makes no sense. But look at Boris yesterday, right? All the booster systems working really well. And meanwhile, there's 200,000 people with Omicron today. And you go... Right, so those two things can't be both true. That's the thing that really worries me. Every time he's he's stepped up to speak, he's you know shoved in the booster thing. Now it's it isn't working. Mm. It isn't working. So why are you continuing to push this? Vanessa Phelps was on television the other day, and she was going, "I don't understand why the public public just don't get on with it." You know, I'll take my one jab, two jab, four jabs, twenty-seven jabs every six months. I'm happy to do that. But why? 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 Right. Why? And also, why is this woman saying also, that? One, the reason we had a GP on the other day who said, you know, we were told in December we had to stop everything and just jab people, right? So if you want to be treated for anything else, that's not happening. So you're not getting treated. So the health of the nation is actually suffering. And all that's happening is a lot of people are getting a booster, uh, which isn't stopping them getting Omicron. So you're kind of going, sorry, are we in Alice in Wonderland now? I'll, you know, where's the Mad Hatter? So, you Mike, know? I'm going to ask you the question I ask you every mm. single time yes. I come on. This is sinister. Mm. Why are they doing it? I Why I are they the committing, honestly, such horrible things to the whole of the nation? If anyone's sick, I know from so many people that have been trying to see their doctors, trying to get appointments... Why are they disregarding everything mm. apart from pushing um, vaccines and boosters? I Why? I don't know. But I want you to know, Mike. I, I know. need you to know the answers. I need to, I need to make well, sense of my, this. My only hazard of a guess is always about the money. It's always about the money. Somebody's making money. A lot of people are making money. A lot money. of people are making money. And, and I suspect, like Tony Blair, all of their kind of protestations of trying to make the world a better place, suddenly he's got 40 million quid making the world a better place. Yeah. Now, I would quite like to have 40 million quid in a nice house in Eaton Square and a lovely sort of... But you, you know, wouldn't sell your soul for it, though. I certainly wouldn't. Exactly. Well, These he didn't have one to sell, to be honest. Yeah, this is I mean, true. He, he lost this his soul true. sometime before that. Can I just quickly go back to the masks at schools? Let's uh, do that, but let's take a little break um, and then we'll come back to that. Uh, Tony Buxton is here. Uh, We've got loads of your calls to take and we want to hear from what's going on in your world because if you're being told you have to work from home because you haven't been vaccinated or because you're not willing to wear a mask, we need to know uh, so we can get on with that particular campaign as well. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Tony Buxton's here with us. Uh, you wanted to, to just say one more thing about masks. I do. Move I, on. I think Francis said it beautifully this morning with you, and he is a brilliant man. And it is not the law. And what I would like to appeal mm. to is all schools to put their students first. They mm. do not have to follow this. Right. I, 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 I understand understand that parents as parents we send letters in and we exempt our children that's fine but wouldn't it be lovely if teachers actually put kids first yes. and actually the head teachers of these schools turned around and said no we're not mm. doing this i would take my hat off to mm. any head teacher who did that i would i would think about moving my children to their school yes because i just think that now there's a head teacher who's putting children first yeah i think that's absolutely right because 
equally they could still say if you want your child to wear a mask they can wear one but you know they're not going to force every other child to wear no, one. No, and the other thing that, that I really disagree with is that if you are if you are exempt and you've sent the letter and your child's not wearing a mask, that they want you to wear some kind of badge or something. I've, yeah, I've written into. That's, I'm sure that's Francis Hall pretty much said that was illegal. Yeah, well, I've I've written into both my sons are at different uh, schools, and I've I've written into both of them said you know my my sons are exempt and you are not to ask them about right. it. Please make all the staff because aware that about is the law. it because that is the law. Yeah, and and left at that. And Francis was very clear on that. There is yeah. absolutely because you could be. Disabled in some way, so you should not be individually discriminated against as a result of your disability. And I also think that you know when when history comes back and looks at it, and then they really do look at masks, we will see that it's a complete load of rubbish. Yeah. So you know, if your exemption is, I've got a brain, I've read the studies, mm. I'm not doing it because my mental health won't allow mm. me to put something to block my airways that's not going to make right. a blind bit of difference to a virus, right. I think that's perfectly acceptable as well. Absolutely right. Now, you've made your little TV appearance at the weekend, Yes, I'm going to be... I'm cooking on Sunday brunch. Very nice. I'm doing dolmades, which yes. are uh, vine leaves that yes. are rolled. And I'm doing... Um, I do like those. Oh, dolmades are great. Are you doing two versions? Are you doing like a meat version and a vegan uh, yes, veggie version? Yes, I'm doing version? a meat version and a veggie version. Mm. And that could be a vegan version as well if you took the cheese out. OK. And we were just talking about veganuary. Yes. So, um, at the Real Greek at the moment, they've got some great offers on for veganuary. I mean, you can get four dishes for a tenner. Really? It's incredible. Mm. And I think it's, I'm not a vegan, but I'm Greek. And so we have a, a big vegan diet. Right. You know, I'd say it's, you know, it's 80% kind of vegan slash vegetarian yes. food. And I think it's really good to try. And is that because the salads or just the vegetables? What is, what is it? No, it's a couple of things, actually. Mm. It's because most Greeks are Orthodox. And in the Orthodox religion, yeah. there's there's vegan fasts okay. throughout the religion. So you have 40 days before Easter, right. 40 days before Christmas, two weeks with the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. So it's right. kind of all linked into religion. Okay. And also it's poverty. Mm. You know, my mum would have meat once a month because they were poor yeah. and meat was really expensive. Mm. And so they would... And the thing is about Greek veganism and Mediterranean veganism is that it just uses products that are in nature. So yeah. you, you'll get chickpea stews and you'll get um, sesame seeds and you'll get pulses yeah. and you'll get all of that. I'm not as keen on the fake meats because mm. I, I think they are, many of them, not all of them, but most of them are heavily processed and they're not good for you. Yeah. So if you're doing, if you're becoming a vegan for health reasons, there's a couple of things you need to take into mm. account. You need to look at these fake meats and see how processed they are and whether they're good for you. Yeah. And secondly, you do need to take a little look that, to make sure that you're getting your B12, you're getting enough protein. Yeah. You've got to look after yourself in that sure. way. And and as we were saying earlier, you know, I don't like to eat meat unless I know where it comes from. Mm. I want it to be from a small holding farm because I want to support British farmers yes. that are humanely reared and that they, they, that whatever I'm going to eat had a lovely life. Yeah. And then it's because it, I, I believe that we have evolved to eat meat, but not in the excess that we eat no. it. And I don't like this kind of farming. Factory farming is just it's not, horrific. It's, just awful, it's, isn't it? it's it's and also it doesn't taste very good. Everyone. No, it doesn't. It doesn't taste good. And I can't bear the thought that this poor animal has lived in this horrific mm. manner and then brought to the table. It's wrong. That's what we need to stop. Yeah. So instead of the, so the messaging is so conflicting, isn't right. it? What I would say is, yes, it does. It will then cost more to buy your meat, but then eat less of it and sure. eat the good stuff. Yes, and then look into and eating mix it all up a bit, perhaps vegan meals. Absolutely. I mean, I I defy anyone to come to my house and eat a, a, a purely vegan meal and mm. not feel completely satisfied. Yes, because, because in the end, it's about the flavours, isn't it, and absolutely. about the way that you cook. And I mean, yep. I've always said to people in this country, and I and I and I don't by any means want to sound snobbish about it, but but too many people in this country just kind of eat anything. They'll kind of go, well, I must eat something. So there's, I mean, in, in when they, if they cook something, they don't think about it. You know, I yeah. love thinking about it. You know, I love going to Borough Market and going to the Spice Mountain and buying all these different yeah. spices and going, oh, let me try some of that. You know, I found some um, um, Peruvian sort of um, um, Mex Mex or Peruvian chicken uh, marinade type mm. stuff, right? Yeah. And I didn't know what to do with it, but I bought it and I played around with it and made some chicken and it was beautiful. It was really nice. Barbecued, you know. Um, I understand. Yogurt, that, that kind of thing. I love know. that. I understand that a lot of people are fearful of cooking mm. and that's why they, because we've become a nation of kind of ready-made meals yes. and they're fearful of cooking. And just call up somebody and they'll bring you some food. Yeah, it's, it's, I just, that would be another good New Year's resolution, mm. wouldn't it? To just try and cook at least, I don't know, 50% of your meals from scratch. Yeah. It'll be much cheaper. Just cook. It, absolutely. Yeah, just cook. There you go. It'll be much cheaper. And, and as long as you can, you just need to give yourself a bit of time because mm. it does take a little bit of time. Yeah. But once you know what you're doing, it takes less and less time. But also, if you've got a fridge, right, you can cook things ahead of time. You know, I mean, I last night I ate um, some beef rendang that I'd made before Christmas. 
put it in the freezer. Yeah. You know, but I didn't eat it the night that I cooked it. I just put it in the freezer. I had it last night. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I mean, if you if you're a bit organised, that's exactly mm. what you can do. One of the one, we were talking with your makeup, lovely makeup girls here yeah. about slow cooking. Yeah. And how that you can prep everything the night before. Yeah. Put it in the oven on a really low heat. You don't even mm-hmm. need a slow cooker. Put right. it on an oven sealed on a low heat with enough liquid. Yeah. And it can cook all day long. You come home, you've got a meal. Because I understand that when people come back from work, if they've had a long yeah, day's work, like it, yeah. you don't feel like it, and you don't want to take something. Up. But if you take a little bit of effort the night before you mm-hmm. come home then then you can have something really delicious yeah. and really wholesome i've got you. a pot roast later Ooh, which delicious. i also had in the uh, freezer which i made like before again before christmas and so you know i'm just going to go through that i think it? we should do a cookery show mike we I should think you and i I'd should do to. something well, you can talk teach radio. Me a lot, we'll do some cooking oh, no, i know i think lovely. you've got really good insights when it comes to food you mm. seem to have a very good palate so i think we should do, do. some cooking yeah okay as long as it involves wine yes Excellent. okay <laughs> all right sold you're done uh totally great to see you thank you very much indeed happy new year to you um and we'll look out for you what time is it channel four uh it's on sunday brunch they never tell me what time oh, okay. i'm on but have a little look out all for right them. sunday brunch channel four tony's there the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio the big story still very much by the way about the whole kind of absenteeism that this country is facing not so much uh, as a result of people being infected uh, and damaged and being put in a dangerous situation because of the coronavirus or indeed because of the omicron variant but because so many people are working from home over a million people apparently are self-isolating uh, not all of them of course will be in any way uh, ill not all of them will be in any way infected with covid some of them are waiting for a test result some of them uh, are simply working from home because they've been told to in fact we're told three quarters of the office population of this country is not at work because they've been told to work from home government guidance and sometimes guidance from their own employers um people who work from home of course that uh, we know you could say uh, prince andrew works from home uh, he's not allowed to go out now these days so he can't work anywhere else um he's not allowed to do anything for the royal family um he's still hiding from uh, all sorts of uh, subpoenas. He's hiding from the FBI. He's hiding from all manner of people. Let's find out from Mark Bukowski, uh, PR guru to the stars. What's going on, Mark? A very happy new year to you. Happy new year to you too, Mike. Now, um, this is a pretty tricky situation he finds himself in, isn't it? Because after what the judge said yesterday, it doesn't seem as though, one, he's very keen on chucking his case out, but two, he doesn't seem entirely enamoured with Prince Andrew's legal team either. Well, this has has dragged out for years and years and years. It hasn't gone away. And, you know, Prince Andrew is in the centre of this story. Um, And it remains to be quite an emotive story, quite a a a protracted soap Mm. opera. We've had whether or not, you know, the infamous Jeffrey picture was faked, the the length of his arm. Um, But the backdrop of now uh, with uh, Ms Maxwell being incarcerated, the timing is not great. And I think generally across the world, people will say, look, if you've got you've got nothing to hide, surely you've got to face up to this. Um, go on, smack him out of court, you know, declare innocence. But of course, he never survived trial by Emily Maitlis. Uh, I rewatched the snippets of that last night on news broadcasts and focused on his eyes. You right. could see the heart of it. He was really unhappy with some of those questions. Mm. And I think he is the architect of his of, of 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 this situation he finds himself, which is incredibly embarrassing for the Queen, um, in, with a special year coming up, and the rest of the royal family who would probably like him to stay in the lodge, away from everybody, and never rear his head again. Right. Well, I said on Monday that regardless of the outcome, if any, of this case, even if the case gets completely thrown out, you know, you surely cannot play any further part. In, uh, in any royal family activity. And quite frankly, we've now seen that there are people in his regiment, which is Colonel, the Grenadier Guards, saying they don't really fancy having him hanging around because they have to go to these regimental dinners, at which at the end, they have to toast his health. And they're all feeling... I mean, if the, if the Grenadier Guards are feeling a bit queasy about it, then surely to God, he has to be removed from all military activity, all royal activity. So what does he become then? Well, this, this is the point. I mean, he, he had this, um, um, you know, business business role, you know, helping startups, which um, a number of people he did help with his influence, you know, are very grateful for its help. They're embarrassed to a certain extent nowadays, but he, he certainly was quite effective. But this is about arrogance. This right. is about, you know, I am, you know, I'm the Duke of York and therefore I am right. And therefore the rest of you are just sort of minions, just go away and mm. let me get on because I can do great work. He's completely over. There is nobody that will want anywhere 
him anywhere near their project, his brand. No. It attracts the worst sort of publicity. It doesn't take a, a genius um, in the art of PR to understand just, you know, how flawed uh, this particular guy is, mm. and, you know, you know how useless he is now. Um, full stop. Right. So is he beyond repair in your view, then, as a sort of uh, somebody with a, any kind of decent image? Well, I think that if he thinks he can get away with a legal loophole, that some contract with a paedophile, you know, that was done with this woman is therefore exonerates him. It doesn't exonerate him. These, no. This nasty smell is going to stick around. The only way is that he's got to be radical and actually face up um, to these allegations, as any human would do, and to sort of put his case yeah. forward. Um, and that might be the start of something where he could make some heroic recovery. But at the moment, if he thinks that a legal loophole is going to save his reputation, he's wrong. Well, we've got those dreadful pictures, haven't we, now, of Windsor and that party that he threw, where, you know, with him in the same frame, he's Lane Maxwell, convicted um, sex trafficker, Jeffrey Epstein, now deceased, convicted paedophile, and Harvey Weinstein, um, you know, a man who's serving time in prison for... Uh, sexual assault and you think well that must have been some party wasn't it well it, it goes back to many of the things we, we I, whether we've come to the end of the stories around Gisman Maxwell I don't know I mm. mean if, she, if, her, if her appeal fails which I think it, again they're going for these weird loopholes legally um, then you know what will be her attitude of being incarcerated in jail for the next thirty or forty years? Will she do something? Will she say something? Right. She's proving to be a very loyal um, supporter of many of those sort of people around her, friends, showing incredible loyalty. Mm. Whether that will sustain, I don't know. Whether some effects. So there's so many, un, yeah, so many variables still yeah. yet to do. Well, and I mean, I was still, these, I, yeah, I was talking to somebody um, about this the other day. You know, because there are two problems with her. Um, kind of turning state's evidence, if you like. One, she's a convicted sex trafficker. So would you believe a word she said anyway? Because whatever she says now will be viewed as something to lessen the sentence and therefore uh, something that is entirely driven by her own self-interest. Her brother, Ian, I think it was, said, well, she's not going uh, to, to, to cough up any names because as far as she's concerned, nothing happened and she's been wrongly convicted. And then you go, all right, so uh, even if all of those things were the case, she's never going to be able to get out then. Well, it looks it looks that way, and it look and it also it will always throw up pictures and always throw up sort of narratives that will actually you know bedazzle you know anybody's attempt to sort of trying to rebuild their image. This is going to stick around for years. I think we've already seen that the infamous Emily Maitlis um, broadcast with some great sound bites, the infamous sort of pizza um, and I don't sweat moment uh, are going to be played out for years and years to come. They are indelible stains yeah. that, are going to, that are going to stay put. And I think this is the issue, is that, you know, print, print, Prince... Uh, you know, Prince Andrew has obviously feels that he wants to serve this country. Um, and he must be incredibly frustrated, tinged that with a sense of arrogance he's got. Mm. Um, it's a toxic mix, but he can no longer do what he was built and trained to do. Yeah. Um, and that will be driving his ability to look at any way around this issue that doesn't get his collar felt. Yeah, well, exactly right. And I mean, watching him, as you say, in that interview, he's clearly astonished that somebody would have the impertinence to ask sort of these very, very personal and ridiculous questions. Um, but also, some people used to tell me, but to be fair, they were usually in government, that Andrew was quite helpful to them sometimes in trade talks and they'd fly him in and he would sort of, you know, do the room and, you know, everybody would be very happy to meet a personage of the royal family. Um, but aside from that, um, most of his service to the nation involved getting on private jets and going to golf courses around the world and playing 18 holes with somebody, didn't they? Well, doesn't that happen all the, all the case? I mean, it's a rich world you inhabit, Mike, you know. I mean, I can Well, if only, sit, you know. <laughs> listen, I've only had six days off in the past um, uh, in the past two years, I think. Uh, I mean, I've played golf radio. We know that, Mike. You're the hardest guy working guy on It's radio. true. But look, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, 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 this is all about those who wield power what they do with that power um, and I, I know two or three startup businesses um, who are incredibly grateful for his pitch at the palace okay. and they, 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 they all say they wouldn't 
they they wouldn't be growing and developing without his direct help. So that was something positive, you know, that, that I've heard from it. Mm. And it's a great shame. But you can't, on one hand, be a business envoy and at the same point have a knowing relationship with a very dubious bloke like Epstein. No. It, was, it wasn't the case that this man wasn't warned about this, uh, I've been told. Um, and yet this loyalty, this amata that exists between all these people, you know, ultimately is their downfall yeah. because you cannot you cannot behave in this way and not face a consequence. No, although, of course, a lot of people are asking the question, you know, it's all very well saying face the consequences, but Epstein, um, you know, supposedly committed suicide in prison after being convicted, you know, because Lane Maxwell's now in prison. But there's an awful lot of other names um, that have been associated, shall we say, with this story, very big names indeed, um, who don't appear to be being investigated at all. And some people are saying, well, hang on a minute, if these were the sort of... Um, um, the enablers, if you like, of, of whatever sort of sexual behaviour was taking place on, on what was called the Lolita Express aeroplane and on Pedo Island, as it was known. I mean, you know, what's happening with, with, with those people? Well, that, that's where you feel incredibly empathetic to loads of sort of uh, women who are exploited, mm. um, who, you know, who, are, who, 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 who won't get justice right. from, from, from this. And uh, it's a complex process and navigating the American legal system um, when you're faced with the huge bills you might have to pay for, you know, rather expensive attorneys. And there's always going to be another attorney there who's going to be more expensive, who's going to be employed by the other side. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a long road. Um, but it's, you know, I think a lot of damage has been done in the early days in the way Prince Andrew handled, you know, disposing of these allegations in the way that he saw fit and his advisors mm. at the time thought it was a good idea. And that is, the, the you know, the biggest elephant in the room. You're never going to shift that out. There's always going to remain the same. Yeah. And the same whether it's for, you know, those members of the royal family who just get on with it, you know, Prince Anne and, you know, even... Um, you know, you just sort of do their gig. Well, Princess you know? Anne's um, looking like a bit of a rock at the moment, isn't she? Well, yes, and also um, Sophie too. I mean, who would yeah. have thought after all the negative PR that she picked up at the beginning um, when the news of the world stitched her up um, that she would become such a rock? Yeah. And I just think that you know, and you know, it, it's not about clambering for the greatest sort of uh, coverage in the press and across social media, it is actually quietly getting on with your gear. Right. And well, I look think at William humility, and Kate. I mean, William and Kate yeah. have become the sort of nation's sweethearts, really, haven't they? Well, only because I think their opposing number of the Fabulous Four are actually doing things so badly. I mean, yeah, there I was going to get around to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, but the, 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 there are hints that they are playing a very tactful game in terms of PR. Uh, organ playing at yes. carol services was very smart. That was um, great. Sort of PR that stuff, was you know. So you know when when you've got when you've got people across the Atlantic still, you know, playing the idiotic card, then it's going to make you look good. Yes, I mean the news today that they've only made something like fifty thousand dollars for their Archie Well charity in its first year, uh, having only set it up in January twenty twenty one. Doesn't look exactly like they're sharing much of their largesse from Netflix and Spotify, does it? Well, look, a lot of the headlines we've seen about these sort of content deals with the likes of Netflix and Spotify, you know, we've never really seen the bottom bottom line of this. Even some of the big speeches we've done, they've really been speculative numbers. I mean, some quite quite strong um, uh, numbers that that would suggest that they're real. But who knows what the deal is? Um, have they got to deliver on things? Uh, you know, is any organisation going to sort of pay up until they actually see the goods? I don't know. So I think that, you know, perhaps much of the hype that has surrounded them has been used to sort of generate that sort of positive PR and traction to say, hey, this is a really interesting couple who have a very fascinating insight, more modern view of the world, not stuffy and caught up with the Royal Protocol all based in america they're your heroes um and i think we're starting to unwind and find the real deal behind that story it's a very expensive lifestyle to mm. be um uh, to be harry and megan and um you know how do you pay for the security i noticed that recent settlement of um uh of the of the big um um, um sort of arab sort of um oh it was, it was in the news excuse my oh you mean the uh, thing the dubai thing 
Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of that money yeah. went to security. Yes. Um, so must never, ever forget that it's a very dangerous world we exist in now mm. and you are a target. Yes. And the cost, the cost of security when you're outside the royal household is a staggering amount of oh, money. Oh, it's a couple of million and, a year. I remember speaking to, and to, more. To, to Will Geddes about it. You know, guy does security for a living and it's, you know, minimum a couple of million a year. I think Charles was paying something like two or three million towards their security at one point. I don't know whether he still is. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And and that is the world they inhabit. And also when you live in that world and you have people like Oprah Winfrey up the road, you know, you're always going to get Megan going, well, she's got a lot more money than we've got, so we're going to have to make more. But I mean, they have supposedly got 160, 170 million from Netflix, haven't they? Who knows, Mike? Well, and supposedly on mm. paper, who knows? I mean, this is a question whether or not Netflix are very smart and actually using the name to generate traction for their brand. Um, you know, I, I, I guess unless everything is in the public domain, who knows what, what you know, Netflix don't have to declare anything. And I guess um, Meghan and Harry don't have to no. declare anything. So we'll, we'll never know mm. um, whether the number's higher or lower than that. But uh, even so, I think, you know, the existence of their lifestyle and you, you've hit it. There's nothing more, um, you know, posturing than the American Californian lifestyle. Right. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to work in those sort of um, circles, you've got to have the collateral of yeah, those circles. absolutely right. So here's where I'm going to put your expertise on the spot, Mark. This time next year, when you and I have this conversation, where will Andrew be and where will Harry and Meghan be? Um, I think the, uh, I think, I think we're we're coming to a grinding halt. I think with with the Andrew, whether or, I think either the court procedure carries on without him, uh, or whether it has a legal technicality, but he will be sort of semi-anonymous, still trying to sort of get his story out there, but or maybe coming to some resolution that there's something he can do without using his public um, persona in mm. the way that he's used to. Uh, Meghan and Harry will still be talking about Meghan and Harry. We'll still be talking about it, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, Mark Bukowski, thank you very much indeed. Branded PR guru, of course, I'm happy to be speaking to throughout uh, the course of the last year. Uh, there will be more coming from the New York court case, of course, because that judge uh, is putting uh, together his judgment on whether or not uh, Virginia Gaffray's uh, case can go ahead. Certainly all the indications from what he said yesterday are that it looks like it will go ahead. Whether or not Andrew will need to appear or be subpoenaed to appear uh, seems to be uh, still unknown. But the case can go ahead without him even being there and the big question now is what does he do next because in the end he's going to have to pay the piper in some way he's going to have to um, find some way of getting out from under the yoke of this or he's just going to have to go into hiding for the rest of his life isn't he talk radio across the uk online on dab and on your smart speaker the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.